Hey, can you hear me? Quiet down, people. Take a seat. I don't know if any of you were aware of this. I was trying to sleep back there. And with your obnoxiously low Christian hospitality, I was prevented. Thank you. You guys understand. I have had a long week. Any of you guys ever been there? I'll be honest. I am exhausted this morning. That's why you get to see me in my robe. Yes, this is my robe. I found out about three months ago that I had to preach today. And so last night at 11.30, <laughs> what? Cut me some slack, guys. I'm not kidding. I'm exhausted. In fact, I need a few people's help right now. There's a, a chair over there and an ottoman. Like, seriously, this is my only prop, okay? I need some of you guys to bring this up on the stage for me. I just, I can't do it. So, hey, you guys in the front, you three. Chop, chop. Thank you. I, by the way, just so you guys know, I want to angle this way at that floating door up there. I know it's huge. You guys are huge. Just do it. You think I could lift it? That's why I'm not doing it. Hey, guys, I'm so proud of you for working hard. Give them a hand. The lighting is really good right about here, so place it right here and then the ottoman in front. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate that. So as I was saying, I found out that I was, that's good. It's not really centered. Like, what is? <laughs> give, me, give me a second, guys. Okay, that's better. Unbelievable. I found out, as I said, that I was preaching. And so last night, I got some of my thoughts. It didn't take very long, honestly, guys. Teaching the Bible is really easy. It's pretty straightforward all the time. So it didn't take a lot of preparation. Some of you look upset, though, like, Jared, why didn't you prepare? Don't worry, guys. I've got it all up here. <laughs> Don't worry. It's probably going to be the best sermon you've ever heard, actually. But as I was saying, it was a long week. I found out earlier in the week that I have a ton of house projects to do, okay? In fact, <laughs> I found out I had so many to do that just the thought of all of those projects was utterly exhausting. <laughs> Tuesday, everybody, no joke, Tuesday, I ended up taking three naps because I was so tired. Do I have anything on my shoes, by the way? Am I good over there? I want to make sure I don't have any gum or toilet paper or anything on them. If so, Matt would get it off for me, though, right? <clears throat> um, so I didn't get around to doing any of those like I hoped to do because I was so flipping tired all week. 
You guys, did you guys know it was 4th of July this last week? Yeah. Great time for a holiday, right? But I realized I had to, like, pick up all the toys in my backyard. I had to mow everything. I had to trim everything. But then I looked at the forecast. Did you guys feel how hot it was? It was unbelievable. I watched the news, and they were like, some guy died of heat stroke. And I'm like, that's not going to be me. Uh-uh. So I didn't end up doing that either. It's, some weeks just happen that way, don't they? You guys know what I'm talking about? All right, good. What was so funny over there? Some weeks are just like that. I'll be honest. I don't really know what I'm going to say today. So I was hoping, Derek, would you mind filling in? You don't want to teach the Word of God to people, Derek? What's wrong with you? Fine, I'll do it, Derek, if you don't want to. If you're going to be too lazy to do it. Why was that funny? <laughs> don't worry, rope's coming off, but we're good to go. Fine, I'll do it. I'll preach. <sighs> okay. Uh, found out I was preaching. A lot of home projects. Fourth of July. Derek won't do it. <laughs> okay. Here's the part where I stop pretending to be lazy and actually do this sermon. Okay, got it. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to share your word. Thank you that it is truth and that your Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. I pray you make us different today. Help us to take this topic at hand seriously, even though it can be quite funny. And um, I pray that you'd make us more like Jesus as a result of today. That's my prayer. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic for our study in Proverbs today is this ants and slugs. If you've read the book of Proverbs before, you know where I'm going. The ant is diligent, hardworking, prepares, isn't lazy, but the sluggard? The Bible has a lot to say about the sluggard, and that's what we're mainly going to be discussing today. It's fitting that I get this topic because I'm lazy by nature. I don't know if you are or not. I'm lazy by nature. Next week, uh, Pastor Derek gets to talk about our words and using our tongue because he loves to talk. And then the week after that, Pastor Ken gets to talk about wealth and money because he's Dutch. So <laughs> God's sovereign hand was over all of this. All right. We're going to start by defining the sluggard. Yes, that word is actually in the Bible, the sluggard. This is my main idea. So if you are note-taking, you might want to write this down. Our work ethic demonstrates what we believe. It demonstrates what we believe about three things, and this is the three areas of the sermon, about stewardship, about rest, and about the gospel. How hard we work or how lazy we are tells us if we understand what stewardship, rest, and the gospel actually are. 
So that's what I'm defending today from the book of Proverbs. So first off, we need to describe who this wonderful, not, not so much, character is in the book of Proverbs who's named the sluggard. First of all, he's, he's a fool. Last week, Pastor Chris very well communicated the categories, the, the wise man, which we all aspire to be, the fool, and then also the wicked person who's bent on evil. The fool is the sluggard, okay? The sluggard is the fool. So this is in the category of things we don't want to be any longer. Does that make sense? This is what the book of Proverbs has to say about the sluggard. We're going to open the Bible a lot and flip to a lot of different passages. So this will be kind of like sword drill all over again. All right. Proverbs uh, chapter 12. Let's start there. Proverbs chapter 12. I'm not hitting every single verse that talks about the sluggard, but I think I fit most of them into this sermon. So uh, the first one, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27 says this. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. So the sluggard, the slothful person, is a person who's too lazy to even cook his food. How wonderful, right? In our, in our day and age, this would be the person who would rather eat a whole bag of frozen pizza rolls than actually cook a steak dinner, okay? This is the sluggard. Next verse, we're going to keep going forward. Thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 4 says this. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The sluggard is always hungry, but is not willing to work hard for anything, and so he is never, ever satisfied. Chapter 14, verse 23, says this, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk only tends to poverty. So in all toil, all work, there is something good to be gained or good to be learned. But mere talk (laughs) tends only to poverty. You guys ever met people who talk a lot but don't do anything? Don't point at people around you. That's not polite, okay? (laughs) We've all met people who love to talk. But people who just talk don't actually ever work. And this is something that often describes who the sluggard is. Look at chapter 15. Uh, Starting with verse 19, it says this, The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. So you have two different paths, right? The path of the sluggard is filled with briars and thorns and barriers and difficulties, but the way of the righteous person, the way of a wise man, tends to be what? This straight highway that's easy to traverse, something that's easy to walk on. But the problem with the sluggard is that most of these things that are in the way, in their path, are things that are often self-induced because of their laziness. So their laziness makes their job even harder than what the diligent person's job is because they're lazy. Go with me to chapter 19, verse 15. A couple more chapters. Chapter 19, verse 15. It says this, slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. The sluggard finds himself often in long bouts of sleep, and he actually suffers hunger because of his laziness, because of his unwillingness to work. You see some common themes here? Hopefully. 
Uh, a little farther in chapter 19, verse 24, this one is probably my favorite. Sometimes the Bible is really meant to be funny, and so it's okay to laugh. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, mm, potato chips, yet will not even bring it back to his mouth because he's that lazy. <laughs> imagine me up here with a giant, actually, you don't need to imagine. I come prepared. Classic. Classic lays. This is what the sluggard is like, according to this verse. Ready? Oh, yeah, potato chips. <sighs> I can't. <laughs> I'm so hungry. Matt, will you put these chips in my mouth? I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is what the sluggard looks like. It's supposed to be comical, right? You look at this depiction and you're like, who in the world would be that dumb? <laughs> like, who is really that lazy, unwilling to do anything? That's kind of the point. Proverbs are meant to be funny sometimes to make their point. The sluggard in the book of Proverbs is depicted as being a lazy, unmotivated, undisciplined person who follows the path of what? Least resistance. Whatever is easiest is what the sluggard will do, if he has to. That's what the, this character is like. So question, does this ever define you? Cricket? Cricket? What, we like to laugh at this character, but the reality is every single one of us has slothful tendencies. We have areas of our lives where which we are just lazy and we don't want to work hard. And that's called our human nature. But the book of Proverbs doesn't want to leave us there. It wants to grow us out of that. So if this ever does define you, I'm really glad you're here this morning because I have these three things to share with you from the book of Proverbs that I really believe are going to help us honor God in our work ethic. These are things that will leave us personally satisfied in our work, and these are things that are going to serve one another. First thing is this, point number one, we must understand stewardship. Stewardship. Flip with me to Genesis chapter 2, and all the way to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. In the garden, God gave Adam a job. God tasked Adam with the responsibility that he had given to no other creature. This job was to work and keep the Garden of Eden. Look with me at verse uh, 15. The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. What was Adam's job? Yeah, to, to garden, to steward it well, to take care of what God had entrusted him with. This is what stewardship is. He wanted Adam not to be alone, so he made a helper fit to help him in this work. Her name was Eve. She was meant to be his companion, his helpmeet, his friend. But they were there to do a job. They were there together to steward the earth. Now, when I think of steward, if you know me well, obviously, you know where I'm going with this. Steward makes me think of the steward of Gondor from Lord of the Rings. Surprise, surprise. If you're not familiar with this, there is this region of men called the land of Gondor, and there is a king, but the king is not present at this time. And so 
there is this giant throne, a bunch of steps all the way down, and to the side of these steps there is another throne, significantly smaller than the king's throne. This is where the steward is to sit. While the king is away, the steward has a job. What is it? To take care of the kingdom, to defend it, to provide for it, to make good decisions. Basically to rule in the king's stead until the king would return. Hey, return to the king. What a great name for a movie or a book, right? You get the idea of a steward. It's somebody who has a job to do in the place of someone else. God has given us, as humans, a job to do in his stead until he puts all things in subjection underneath his feet. We are here to rule and to govern and to steward the earth. That's our job. Now, this is where a lot of people get confused because usually we grumble and complain about our work, right? We think, oh, it's Monday. (sighs) With this heavy disappointment in our voices, as if work is something that came as a result of the fall of humanity. But this is chapter 2, right? What happens in chapter 3? That's where the fall happens. That's where Adam and Eve rebel against God and God's good design, and then they are cursed. What's Adam's curse? It says his difficulty in work is going to significantly increase. Thorns and thistles, right? Briars. What was once easier for him to do is now much, much more difficult. Same for for women, right? The pain in childbearing is going to increase exponentially, right? Praise God for an epidural, right? I'm just pretending. I I don't know. Um, Anyway. That's what, <laughs> that's what the curse to the woman is. And the curse to the snake was what? You're going to crawl on your belly all the days of the earth and you're going to be at enmity with mankind. That was the curse. This happens in Genesis 3, but in Genesis 2, making my point clear, that's when they were given the job to work, the garden. So work is not something that has come because sin entered the world. Work was part of God's original design in the first place. We are here to work and steward the earth. God has always entrusted humans with this job. So this should start to change our attitude about our work, about our employment, about our jobs. When I was 12 years old, I got my first job. Uh, Grand Junction, Michigan is known for nothing, not even junctions, except for blueberries. Okay, I grew up around me thousands upon thousands of acres of blueberry fields. So my first job as a 12-year-old was to work in the blueberry packing shed and stack boxes, dumping lugs of berries onto the line, and then at the other end of the line, when they would pack the pints in a box, I would take the boxes and put them on pallets, and I would do this all day (laughs) as a 12-year-old in the summer. And I'll just be honest with you guys, like for the sake of transparency, I was a really, really lazy adolescent. Parents, don't raise your hands if you have any. But you guys know what I mean. Your bodies are growing, you're exhausted. What you want to do, what I wanted to do, was play video games. Anybody out there with me? Declan? Yeah, okay. But I had to work instead. So work to me was this necessary evil, like my mom and dad are making me do it. I guess I better, you know. And I was, I'm not kidding. I wish that this wasn't true. But I was the guy every day when I worked that would kind of mosey my way up to the manager and be like, so, uh, what time do you think we're going to be done today? <laughs> Not kidding. Hey, people who have small businesses, is this a popular move? <laughs> Doug's looking at me. 
That's what I would do. 9 a.m. I had only been working for an hour. And I would walk up. I had the boldness to walk up to my boss and say, I looked at the forecast and it looked like it was going to rain today. You think they'll stop picking? Lazy, okay? I was a very lazy kid. But then God started to get a hold of me. I had parents who had phenomenal work ethic and they tried to instill that in me, but it was like the fool, right? You bludgeon him 50 times and he still doesn't get the lesson. That's what I was like. But eventually, I got saved, God started maturing me, and I started to realize some things that I hadn't realized before. I started to understand this concept of stewardship. When I was in college, I had another job. I had a lot of jobs in college, because you have to do that to try to survive. Um, But one of my jobs in college was probably the best job a college student could get in Michigan. Shoveling sidewalks at 2 a.m. There you go, landscaping people know. This was an awesome job because it didn't interfere with classes. It didn't interfere with social life because it was in the middle of the night. And as a Christian school, you're not allowed to be up at the middle of the night. So it was a great thing. And on top of that, it was even better because I got paid 16 bucks an hour. And this is in 2007. This was a great job to have. Minimum of two-hour pay. So if we had to go and there was a dusting, we would run with those shovels like we called something the trifecta where we'd put one shovel here, two here, and just clean up the whole sidewalk as we ran. It was awesome, Justin. I don't know if you should, I'll teach you some techniques later. <laughs> but really, this is honestly when my work ethic started to change. Where we were shovel, shoveling was on Fulton, Porter Hills Retirement Village. And our manager basically said, your job is to make it so that the elderly people who live here can walk safely. So you don't do a half-hearted job at that. We took that very seriously. The six guys that worked on the crew together with me, we made it our aim to make these sidewalks the cleanest, clearest, ice-free, snow-free sidewalks that anybody could possibly walk on. And we, we had a lot of fun doing it, honestly. I remember one time there was, I think this was either, this was December of 08 or uh, January of 09, but there was a massive blizzard that rolled in. Anybody, remember, anybody know when that was? There's been a lot of blizzards. When was it? January of 09. It was brutal. It snowed for like two days straight. So we started our route one day. It took us hours to get all the way done. And we finally did. We walked back and there's seven inches of snow at the beginning of the route again. We were like, well, back at it we go. So we started at the beginning and we did that multiple times. We shoveled for 21 hours straight. Yeah. This guy, all right? (laughs) But my work ethic started to change. I realized the importance of my job. My wife came up to me, like, with some other ladies, and they're like, you want cocoa? They thought we were dying, which we probably were. To this day, my back still hurts. It's probably from that. But we realized that it was our job to take care of these properties and to do it to the best of our ability. And so it started to change. Our mentality started to shift, and we started to get stewardship. You guys, we're all given a job to do. Whatever your work is, if it's what you always hoped it would be, or if it's something that you never wanted to end up doing, it's something God has entrusted you with. And so we need to do it and do it well. We're to steward God's creation until our King returns and all things are put into subjection under His feet. Until then, we're here to work. We're not here just to sit on the couch, unable to even bring the chips back up to our mouth. We're not here to say, well, 
I'm saved, so I'm just going to sit here and wait it out till he returns. That's not what God has called us to do. We are here to work and to work hard at our jobs. So here's where the application comes in. First off, what about you? How differently might your life look if you understood stewardship? If you understood that God put you here to work, that work was not your enemy, but it was something that God actually gifted you to do, would that change the way you work at all? Maybe you take your work more seriously, like I started to in college. We all have tendencies towards sluggishness and laziness, and most of us try to take the path of least resistance. We just do. But that's not what the book of Proverbs wants us to do. Listen to some of these verses from the book of Proverbs. I've organized this in three different areas. First is going to be employees. Sorry, employers. Okay, employers. The first thing I have to say to everybody who might own their own company, own a small business, or anybody who might even be managing and in leadership over other people, first of all, thank you for providing good, honest work for people to do. The boss isn't the enemy, Christians. The boss is somebody who has given you a gift, employment, a paycheck, a way to serve other people. This is a great warning for employers. And if you've ever done this, they'll probably laugh at this one. But if you've ever done this, you'll understand how true this proverb really is. Uh, Proverbs 26, 26 verse 10 says this. Like an archer who wounds everyone is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. All right, you need the visual. So a person who hires a fool, who hires a lazy person, is like an archer who's sitting there shooting at everybody he sees. His friends, it doesn't matter. He is unloading arrows on everyone around him. That's what happens when you hire a fool. Employers, have you ever hired somebody like that? And it turned out disastrous for you, your reputation, your company, those who work with you and work under you. That's what it's like. So the first thing that Proverbs has to say, very simply, is, yeah, don't hire fools. This is why application processes are a good thing and work history are a good thing. The second thing is Proverbs 22:29. Proverbs 22:29 says this. Do you see a man who is skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. This verse is saying a lot, but one thing that it says is that somebody who is skillful and diligent in their work, they're going to stand before kings. They should be rightly rewarded for their hard work. So, for employers out there, Proverbs admonishes and encourages you to pay just wages to your employees. Take care of them. Look at the ones who really work hard and are trying to serve you well and are excelling and give them more responsibility. You take care of them. And many, I've, I talked with many different small business owners this week and it, many of the people in our church who own businesses do that very thing. They try to take care of their employees well and they look for people who are eager and willing to work hard. I don't give my kids ice cream every time they say please or thank you. But I do sometimes try to go out of my way to encourage and to bless my kids when they do something out of the ordinary that was exceptional. When they worked hard without me having to ask and clean their own room or whatever it might be, rewards are a good thing. That should be honored in Christian circles. 
There's a hard word that this says to employers, uh, and this comes from James chapter 5, and I'll just be brief on this. Actually, yeah, James chapter 5, verse 4. This is meant to be a heart check for all of those who have affluence, who have the ability to employ other people. It says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What is James saying here? James is saying, pay fair wages. On the flip side of this, because God sees all, we're going to start talking about employees next. And this is most of us in this room. We want bosses to give fair wages, right? No? Right? Hey, employees, are you demanding wages that you aren't willing to work hard for? I'm not going to dabble into the economics of everything, but the demanding of higher wages all the time, I just want to ask, like, are we willing to really work for that, or do we just expect that by showing up, we should be blessed beyond measure? The book of Proverbs is very clear. Christians are not allowed to be lazy sluggards. That's what a fool does. Christians are supposed to be the people who work the hardest out of anybody. So what type of person are you? What if you were only paid for the actual hours that you put in diligent work? Would you be full-time? I talked to my mom about this earlier in the week, and she was just kind of complaining a little bit about some. She works in an office, and she works with a lot of people my age, who tend to be called millennials, even though I don't identify with those people. Okay, just make this clear. She, she was talking, and she was like, they are always on their phones. And I was like, what do you mean, Mom? She was like, they will be talking to somebody on the phone and be on their other phone at the same time. They're addicted. They can't put the thing down. And so I got to think, and I said, what if, you know, just throwing this out there, what if it were deducted from your paycheck all the time you spent on your phone and not actually working? Would, <laughs> it should be. <laughs> yeah. Are you really working as hard as you can at your job to earn your wage, or is your wage something that, is just that you're entitled to just by showing up and breathing? God gave us work to do, and we are stewards until he returns. Amen? So we got to get to work. I asked a few business owners uh, how many people right out of the gate have good work ethic uh, at their places of employment, and the numbers averaged to be this. One in 15. My generation and younger needs to listen to that, but so does the older generation, honestly. One in 15 people that they hire, on average, does what they're told and does all that's expected of them and works diligently and does anything they can to serve the company. One in 15. I really hope we're not the 14 that remain. Proverbs uh, chapter 16, this is for employees still, it just says simply commit your work to the Lord. That would be a great morning prayer for all of us as we head to our places of employment to say, Lord, I'm here. I pray that you would use me today. Help me to work hard. Help me not to grumble and complain and help me to receive this as a gift from your hand. Amen. That would be a great prayer. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 3 and 11 remind us that the eyes of the Lord are in every place and it says that hearts lie bare before him. Hearts are opened bare before him. He checks our motives. He knows if we're actually working hard or if we're faking it. When I worked uh, with my dad in a factory, 
Uh, nobody knew that I was my dad's son until a couple weeks in for some reason, so I got hired in as a temp. And I, it came to a point where I was working for this guy whose job was to drill clips for uh, commercial doors. And it was a half day, it was like an overtime day on a Saturday, six hours, and so he, he basically gives me this work to do. And he's like, your job is to drill these clips. He shows me how, I start working on them. I finished it in like 40 minutes, and he was angry at me. He was like, that's all I had for you all day. Why did you do that so hard? And I was like, because you gave me a job to do? Like, my ethic was starting to change at this point. And then he found, he was like, oh, you're John Doty's son, aren't you? And I was like, I take that as a compliment. Because my dad is one of the hardest working people that I've ever met in my life. Where's your work ethic at? Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as though working for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And why? You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're serving him, that also should compel us to hard work. For everybody, uh, look with me, flip over into Proverbs chapter 6. Spend just a, a brief moment here. Proverbs chapter 6 introduces this character called the ant, the hardworking, diligent ant. It says this to the sluggard, to the lazy person. Verse 6, chapter 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Solomon, in all of his wisdom, being the wisest man on earth, says, Hey, humans, sluggards out there, look at the ant. There's a lesson to learn from the humble, tiny ant. And it's this. It works diligently even though no one forces it to. It doesn't have a boss. It doesn't get a paycheck. It either survives or it dies based on its work ethic. So the ant decides, well, for survival, I work. And it works during the summer when it would rather be sipping up the Slurpee outside of Freezeway that some kids spilled. It would rather be having its day at the beach, but instead, it works. It prepares because it knows that winter's coming and it's going to be a long winter. This is Michigan, right? It gathers its food in the harvest time to prepare for the winter. People with wood boilers, can I get an amen? You know what I mean. What would happen if you started cutting your wood in December? You'd be, you'd be buying propane. <laughs> yeah, you'd freeze. People who are diligent are thinking about wood right now when it's 90 degrees outside because, well, it just needs to be done. They know that they're going to stay warm if they work now. This is the lesson we're to learn from the, from the ant so that we won't be sluggards. It works diligently for its own survival. So the question is, which one tends to describe you, the ant or the sluggard? For most of my life, I think I was a sluggard, to be honest with you. This week has been one of the hardest ones for me because as preparing this sermon, every verse I'm reading, I'm like, ouch, ouch, ouch. Like, it hurts. It's hard, it's hard to let these things sink in and change you. 
gotten more done on my house this week than I probably have in the last six months. Because I'm like, well, <laughs> it's time. <laughs> that breezeway, anybody know about my breezeway? It's been a project that's lasted three and a half years. It's almost done because of this week <laughs> and reading the book of Proverbs. It's ridiculous. So which one tends to describe you, ant or sluggard? Understanding stewardship motivates and develops the ant's work ethic. Now we move on to what the Bible says and doesn't say about rest. If ever the sluggard felt like he had cornered the market on something, it would be rest, right? It would be chilling on the couch, that rest thing that the Bible talks, I'm good at that. I live in a 24-7 Sabbath, and it's so nice. That's what the sluggard thinks, but to be honest, the sluggard doesn't understand rest at all, and here's why. Look with me at Proverbs 24. Let's flip there, please. Proverbs chapter 24, starting in verse 30. Proverbs 24, verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. And then I saw and considered it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What I actually did on the 4th of July in the morning before it got insanely hot and humid outside, it was already hot and humid, let's be honest, but what I did in the morning is I spent like two hours trimming my chain link fence around my property. Why did I spend two hours doing that? Take a guess. That's the first time I've trimmed it all year. Because we all have tendencies to be a sluggard, correct? I'm not kidding you. There were, as thick as a quarter, were some of the bases of these things. My trimmer kept getting jammed because I was trying to hack through these miniature trees that were weaving their way in and out of my fence. So eventually I got to the point after fixing it for like the 10th time, I got down and I actually started pulling these things out. Happy Independence Day, Dodie. This is how I spent my time because I was too lazy earlier in the year to actually do what needed to be done. And it ended up taking infinitely longer than it should have taken. Proverbs chapter 26, go forward two chapters. Chapter 26, verse 14, gives a wonderful mental picture of what the sluggard is like. It says this, As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. This is one of the funny ones. All right, just because you guys will need a nice mental image of this, I have one for you. All right, now a hinge is a very important device. It's meant to turn a door, correct? Open and close. It serves a purpose. Solomon uses this thousands of years ago to depict what the lazy person looks like. So here's your visual. You ready? This is what a lazy person does. This is the life of a sluggard. Wait for it. It's about to get really exciting. I'm just building anticipation at this point, okay? This is a sluggard. This is what the lazy person accomplishes in a day. Wait for it. It's about to get 
even more riveting. Later on that day, what a satisfied life I live. This is the most purposeful I could have ever imagined. When I was a kid, I didn't want to grow up to be a firefighter. I wanted to do this. How happy. And I make the joke about that because I'm like that too, to be honest. How many times do you have to hit snooze in the morning? I've probably hit a record, to be honest. It is hard to wake up early, to be diligent, to work hard, to, to do something good with our hands. It's much easier to take the path of least resistance but Proverbs doesn't want us to do that. And this is how hard the sermon has been for me, even in preparing this week. Let's be honest, we all love sleep. Amen? Amen. Sleep is a tremendous gift from God. He designed us to need sleep. That's the way we're wired. Everybody gets to enjoy this gift, except if you're a young parent. Everyone else gets this opportunity. Parents to young children don't. And that's why they're so sad and grumpy all the time. No, But here's the problem with the sluggard. They love their sleep far too much. They don't receive it as a gift from God. They take their sleep and they idolize it. It becomes the most important thing to them. He loves sleep at the expense of hard work, not as a result of hard work. And that's the difference. Instead of working hard, then receiving this as a gift, the sluggard turns back and forth, back and forth, on the bed or on the couch, and never accomplishes anything of significance, especially for the kingdom of God. Think with me to the way God designed rest, right? In six days, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh, he what? He rested, and he did this for us, for our learning and for our benefit. What's the law say? For six days, you shall work, but on the seventh, rest. It is a holy Sabbath to me. He designed us to work hard and then to receive rest. Six days of hard work followed by one day of rest. But what the sluggard does is they take six days to do nothing after spending one day of nominally hard work. See how backwards that is? Some of you need to get right right now with Jesus. Okay? Leave a moment. This is what it looks like oftentimes for the sluggard. They idolize sleep. Putting your head on your pillow after a good, hard day's work, an honest day's work, feels good, doesn't it? It feels satisfying. It feels like a gift. You know what doesn't feel like a gift? And I say this because I've been there. This doesn't feel like a gift. That nagging, guilty feeling of hitting snooze for the fourth, fifth, and sixth times until your kids are whining of hunger and you feel instantly behind and irritable for the rest of the entire day. That doesn't feel like a gift. That feels like a burden because it's not supposed to work that way. Proverbs 20, verse 13 says, Don't love sleep because you'll come into poverty. Proverbs 19, 15 says, Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. This doesn't mean that we don't enjoy this gift that God gives, but we do need to enjoy it the right way. The person who doesn't, this is one more to share with you, the person who doesn't understand this is the excuse maker. And conveniently enough, Proverbs talks about him too. Open to chapter 26, verse 13. This is, this is the verse before where we just were. 26, 13. It says, the sluggard says, well, there's a lion in the road. 
There's a lion in the streets. They make excuses so they don't have to get out of their bed. <laughs> you guys ever done this? Kids are classic with this. I know that because I have kids now. Uh, when I was a kid, I would do this. When my, whenever my mom or dad wanted me to do something and I knew that I had dropped the ball on it, they'd be like, Jared, did you blank? And I would say, I was just about to do that. <laughs> it was like my buffer. Me, the buffer of that statement, and my parents' wrath. Okay, that's how I avoided getting in trouble. You know, I was just going to do that, Mom. It came to a point where my dad was like, oh, let me guess. You were just about to do that, weren't you? (laughs) Modern day versions of this look like this. Well, you know, it might rain today, so uh, I don't think I'm going to do any of that outside work that needs to be done. Or, you know, I had a little cough last night. I don't know if I should go into work tomorrow, you know. Or kids who are never, ever tired, especially if you ask them, no. When you ask them to do something around the house, because, I don't know, they live there too, all of a sudden, they don't feel well. Oh, tummy hooding. That's what kids do. My kids always feel great until I ask them to pick up the living room. My dad, my tummy kind of hurts. I'm like, well, you know what will make that feel better? Cleaning up the living room. I'm such a compassionate father. The point of this is pretty simple. Christians, no more making up excuses to continue in our laziness. The book of Proverbs urges us with as much as it can to no longer be sluggards, but to actually work hard and be diligent. So we need to combat our sluggish ways. Simple question for application for everybody on this. What's one thing you can do this week to start combating your sluggish ways? For me, I'll just tell you right now, keep me accountable, everybody. I want to wake up without hitting the snooze button. That's the worst invention that's ever been created. Nine more minutes of rest turns to 63 more minutes of rest. I did the math. That's right. Nine times seven is 63. Go me. I can sing and count. All right. That's my thing. But maybe that should be yours too. Maybe you cut out the fifth Netflix show in an evening and actually do the dishes or do the project that you've intended to start, Breezeway, for years. Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to cut out Netflix altogether because door on its hinge is like a millennial or a contemporary person with Netflix and the couch. I don't know. Kids, here's an idea. (laughs) Because I like to mess with you guys over here. Maybe you commit to keeping your room picked up without being asked. It could happen, parents. How about, how's that sound? Doesn't that sound good? Many of you parents are like, we've given up. There's no more hope. Maybe you do things around the house without having to be asked because, I don't know, you live there too. See, I can say these types of things because I come and preach every now and then. It's not a regular thing. I just come in and drop these little bombs and walk away. Pastor Chris doesn't get to do that. What is it for you? What's something that you can do? One thing you can commit to this week to start combating the areas in your life which are lazy. We all have them. There's no pretending that there's anyone in this room that's a perfect aunt, never struggles with this. It's not true. Finally, the last point is this. This will be the shortest one as well. Our hard work demonstrates that we understand the gospel. What does that mean? Hopefully by now, every single person who has come to our church has heard over and over again that salvation is a gift of God. Amen? 
The very fact that all of our sins are washed away simply by belief, by faith, by trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection, that's the gospel, right? This is what we believe. This is what we profess. One of the most loved verses in all of the Bible comes from Ephesians chapter 2. And I've preached on this before. Most of you guys probably learned this back in Awana. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. What do they say? For it is by grace you have been saved through. And this is not of your own doing, of yourself. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We've heard that over and over and over again. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. Amen? Faith secures our justification, and we are placed in the hand of the Father forever. There's no better news than that. There's another verse directly following those two that we often forget about, and it says this, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were not saved to simply kick our heels up like this and say, praise the Lord, I'm forgiven for everything. Now I'm pretty much just shooting the breeze until he comes again. Oh, fly away, oh glory, I'm not going to do a thing right now. Da, da, da. That's not what we've been rescued for. You have been saved to be salt and light on the earth. God, before the foundation of the world, beforehand, prepared these good things for you and I to walk in them. And as the book of Proverbs sheds some light on, he expects us to do these things with diligence, with hard work. That's what we're here for. Amen? This is what we are here for. We do not work to earn God's favor. No amount of hard work could ever atone for our sins. We work now having gained his gracious favor through his unfailing kindness to us in Christ Jesus, which we never deserved. We work now out of a response of gratitude. A response that says this, I can't believe that I've been saved. The fact that God would show mercy to somebody like me is astounding. I didn't deserve any of this. But because he has poured out, lavished us with his kindness and with his love, our hearts should say, I can't believe that. You know what, Lord, what do you want from me? We talk about being soldiers in the Lord's army. This is what it means. What are we here to do? Lord, you give the orders and I will march. I will follow. In conclusion, Matthew chapter 24 gives a very common parable that we've probably all heard. It says that there's three different servants that a workman hired. And he gave each of them talents. Right? To one he gave five talents, to one he gave two, and to one he gave one. So the one that he gave five talents, part of his own estate, he left. And that worker decided, I've been entrusted with my master's money. So he works hard and he makes what? He makes five more. To the one who was given two talents, he works hard as well, saying, wow, I can't believe my master would give me this. So he works hard and he earns two more. But the problem is, is there's another servant. It's the servant who sat over here. It's the servant who, whoa, who, who. It's the servant who was given one talent, 
And he looked at that and he was like, well, I know what I'll do. He stuffs it away, he hides it, he buries it. And then his master comes back. He rewards these first two servants. What does he say? What we're all hoping to hear, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little, and now you're going to be entrusted with much, much more. Wow. What an honor, right? But he comes up to this last servant, and he says, what did you do with the talent that I gave you? <laughs> oh, oh, here, I knew, I knew you were a hard man, <laughs> but I tucked it away, so at least I didn't lose it. There you go. What's the response of the master when that servant does that? He's angry. He says, you wicked and slothful servant. I entrusted you with something. I expected you to do something with that. Why else would I give you my money? There's a bank that I could put my money into. I wanted you to work. Does he get to hear, well done? No. If you've read the story before, you know that he hears basically the opposite of well done. He gets accused, as I said, of being a wicked and lazy servant, and he is thrown into the fiery furnace. So I ask you this. How are you doing with hard work? You and I deserve nothing, yet God has given us opportunity to work, to serve him, to glorify his name, to serve other people in this world with what he's given us to do, and he's done this to give us personal fulfillment and to grow us up and to mature us. So how are you doing with that? The good news is that he sent his one and only son to bear all of the guilt and all of the shame that we feel when we are slothful and lazy. Praise the Lord that all of that is covered. Amen? We praise God that all of that is forgiven. He paid the penalty for all of our failings, including our sloth and our laziness. The gospel ought to compel our hard work because we have been saved for a purpose. Let's be the salt and light of the world and let's magnify Christ and serve one another as we get to work.